All right. Hey, let's go to God's Word together. Uh, we're going to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And we're picking it up in verse 10. And I know uh, as you turn to that, if you've been with us for any length of time, uh, I always do an Easter message. And uh, in fact, most of the time, I do a Palm Sunday message and an Easter message and a Christmas message. And I like doing that just because I think it's good uh, for you. I think it's good exercise for me. Um, but um, since we're in a gospel already, we're already in the gospel of John, um, we're going to stay in it, and this is a wonderful gospel story, and uh, I thought it would just be perfectly fitting for a day today, and I got a little something for you at the end as well. So let's go to God's Word together, John, the gospel, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and this is God's Word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet, you do not understand these things? Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've all seen movies where somebody's poisoned and uh, they've got to get the antidote. And there's only one antidote. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the MacGuffin of, of that situation. You know, he's poisoned. He's got to get the singular antidote. If he doesn't get an exact antidote, he will die. Well, that takes us right to our main point today, ladies and gentlemen. Sin is a curable problem. That's good news. And there's only one cure. Sin is a curable problem with one cure, one cure only. And so you look around the round world and you see all this uh, pain and this hurt and this brokenness and uh, all this tension and, and uh, people with weapons underground and other people with big mothers of all bombs and uh, you go, what is this crazy world happening? You know, there's opioid addiction and all that stuff in the news. Um, it's broken. It's full of problems. But friends, sin is curable. It's curable and there's one cure. That's our main idea today. And that's what the story's all about, is the one cure to sin. So let's look at it. Our first point is the man who knew what was in man meets a man. You got that? The man who knew what was in man meets a man. And what we're doing is we're picking up what happened last week. Uh, Last week, we're introduced to kind of a halting reality, and the reality is that Jesus doesn't trust us. Um, it says in verse 24 of the previous chapter, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus um, knew uh, how faithless we can be 
and he could not entrust himself to anyone. Now, that doesn't mean that he was totally cloistered. No, he was uh, invested in his disciples. Um, it doesn't mean that he didn't have real friendships. Yes, he did. He lived daily life. It doesn't mean that he didn't help people and that he wasn't helped. It doesn't mean that he didn't live a normal human life and he didn't have to, and he didn't have to r- rely on people. But it does mean that no one could handle the full truth about him. He could not tell anybody in, in, in all of its rawness that uh, he was the son of God and um, that he had an earthly mission and a, and a heavenly calling. He couldn't do that because there was no one that he could trust. No one could handle it. No one could keep it. No one could be faithful with it. Nobody could understand it. I bring all that up again because that is a segue into this encounter with Nicodemus. Jesus did not entrust himself to anyone because he knew what was in a man. Jesus, this man, knew it was in a man, and he's talking about mankind. He's talking about human beings. And the next thing written is this story about Nicodemus, and what's so awesome about it is it goes into this sweeping verdict on humanity. That's where we start, and then it's this tender but firm and clear and truthful encounter with who? A man. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees. I think that that's an intentional thing. Jesus knew it was in a man. And the next, next sentence is, now there was a man of the Pharisees. I mean, you see how, how oozing with grace that is. You get the sweeping indictment on humanity, and the next thing that happens is Jesus is investing in a relationship with a guy. Now, first of all, let's look at this verse 1. There's a lot of stuff packed in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A lot of stuff in there, friends. First of all, I want to say, don't confuse Nicodemus with some other multisyllabic guy named Zacchaeus. We tend to hear these little, little uh, multisyllabic things, and we think everybody's so short little guy who climbed a tree. Uh, this is Nicodemus. It's not Zacchaeus. This is Nicodemus. He's not the short little guy that climbed the tree. Um, another thing about Nicodemus, his name is Greek. Now, he's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. Actually, he's a part of the Sanhedrin. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, he's a Jew, but he's got a Greek name. Now, why does he have a Greek name? Well, b- probably because it likely means that he was from an upper-class Jewish home. And upper-class Jewish homes uh, sent their kids to get very good in- education, and upper-class Jewish homes tended to give their kids two names a Jewish name, a Hebrew name, and a Greek name. And so he probably um, gained enough prominence in his career where he just went ahead and adopted his Greek name. Um, and So that says a lot about the guy, that he's probably from upper class, he's probably very educated, and he's probably uh, well-known enough where he's decided to go with his Greek name. Um, it also tells us in verse 1 that he was a man of the Pharisees. Now, friends, when we hear the word Pharisee, uh, just in, in modern evangelical uh, culture, we tend to think that's a, that's a negative thing, right? Uh, if, I said, uh, if I said of, uh, of uh, Walt Powell over there, oh, that guy's a real Pharisee, we'd go, oh, yeah, I don't mean that as a compliment. He's a Pharisee. But back here, oh, friends, Pharisees were highly regarded. I mean, Jesus called them out for sure. But Pharisees were highly regarded. They were the religious leaders. They were the religious experts. They were the ones, Pharisees, who were meticulous about law following, I mean, to a fault, where it was law upon law upon law, these layers of laws. But in the eyes of the people, the Pharisees were like, oh, I could never be as good as a Pharisee. 
I mean, they are really righteous. I couldn't be like a Pharisee. I mean, they were, they were very highly regarded. And uh, so I, I say all that to, to say we must not underestimate this guy, Nicodemus, and just think he's some schmo from long ago, and they're stupid because they don't have cell phones. Um, in fact, he's come, he says, uh, it says he's Nicodemus, not only is a Pharisee, but he says he's a ruler of the Jews. So not just a Pharisee, but a ruler of the Jews. That, that means he's a part of the Sanhedrin. He's a part of the ruling class. So he's a guy with a lot of clout, a lot of influence. Um, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. And so um, a good way to think about that is, does anybody know a, uh, a United States senator? Do you know a senator? Hello, senator. How do you feel when you talk to a senator? Oh, yes, senator. <laughs> okay, think that when you think Nicodemus. He's not some schmo. He's a guy of influence. He's a guy of power. Uh, he's a guy of religious notoriety. And so John is describing a man of influence and acumen, not some little bumpkin. Don't turn him into a, car- a cartoon character. And let's move on in the passage, verse 2. It says that this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. Now, it's been long uh, deliberated over why he came to Jesus at night. And, um, you know, uh, we, we look at it and we go, oh, it's obvious. That's not obvious. Uh, the text doesn't tell us. It just says that he came uh, by night. Um, it's often thought that he kind of snuck over uh, either out of embarrassment uh, or he didn't want his homies to know that he was coming over there or maybe he came to, um, to pin Jesus down and to get some real time with him to really drill him on what he believed and that was a good time to do it. Or maybe he had to run to the Kroger for his wife and Jesus was over here and he just kind of shot over there at night or whatever after work. Maybe it just happened and uh, it's recorded in the scriptures, maybe. However, I don't think personally that it's too fanciful to think that this guy who is of great notoriety um, and is straying from the belief system of his pals in the religious system um, and is coming to see Jesus, I don't think it's far-fetched at all to think that, uh, that, that he came to Jesus by night and uh, was uh, smart skeptical, discerning, educated on these things, but he comes in the cloak of darkness that he might get more clarity from this Jesus. I think, this is just me thinking, I think that as he is asking Jesus questions, that the Holy Spirit is moving in his life. That's what I think is happening. I think it can be fairly safely surmised from the text. Who knows? But that said, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, Again, I ask you the question, do you see grace oozing all over this? Uh, I do. You've got, you've got Jesus' uh, declaration of distrust of human beings, rightly so. And yet he's investing in this man. This man comes to him, and uh, Jesus, and, you know, but, and this is not some lowly, tender lamb either. This is, a guy, this is an establishment guy um, of, of intelligence and um, of, and. and uh, and instinct and insistence, um, and Jesus pays this man's moral earthly standing no regard whatsoever. <laughs> I think that's quite loving. In fact, Jesus uses it against the guy. In verses 9 to t- nine and 10, Nicodemus is going, how can these things be? Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? You do not understand these things? I mean, he's a religious leader, and uh, he calls Jesus rabbi. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, Jesus doesn't go, oh, senator, I'm so pleased to meet you. Rather, Jesus uses that against him and goes, look, I don't care who you are. Do you not know the Old Testament? Do you not know where it all points? How are you not getting this, Nicodemus? Do you not understand that it's fulfilled somewhere? 
I think that's grace, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's speaking truth in love, not condescendingly, but powerfully. Uh, What does Jesus do to this guy? What's so gracious about this? What Jesus does is he tells him the truth. That's what he does. And that's what the Bible tells you here today, friends. The Bible tells you the truth. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Not me, not my dumb opinions. You're not here to hear some dude. You're here to hear this. This is the truth, and this proclamation is a thing of grace. Um, it's, It's the truth about the way things are between God and man and the way God has brought a remedy about that we might fellowship with this God. So that's why grace is oozing all over it. Um, and uh, let's, let's um, look at how it's poured out uh, in an unvarnished way uh, with our next point, which is this. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi. Well, that's a compliment, isn't it? He's not going, who are you? He's saying, oh, rabbi, you know, like me, rabbi, rabbi, hmm, nice. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, friends, how very nice. That's a very nice compliment he paid Jesus, isn't he? He called him rabbi in an elevated way. He didn't talk down to him. Uh, He says, hey, uh, we know that you're a teacher come from God. That's pretty good, Nicodemus. And, uh, oh, yeah, you do all these signs, um, and God is truly with you. Uh, super nice compliment. And by the way, the first thing we see him do is use the imperial plural. You know what that is? The imperial plural. It's, it's, it's one of the things I find most annoying, especially in theological circles. The, the imperial plural is when people say, like if I got up here and I said, ladies and gentlemen, we hold that uh, such and such and such and such, and we hold that God moved from eternity, and we hold that God set his saving love on you, and we hold this and we hold that. I'm speaking for a people group. I'm speaking for, you know, all those people who hold my position. That is so high-minded. I want to smack someone with a fish in the head uh, every time I hear him do that. It's just like, we this, we that. You're speaking for all these thousands of people and all these brothers that have come before us on whose shoulders you're riding. We this, we that. Well, he's doing that. He's saying it's loaded. It's loaded. When he's saying, Jesus, oh, yes, you're, you're, a man. you're from God and, and so on, he's saying, we know this. He's, he's saying, basically, he's fitting in. Hey, Jesus, <clears throat> you're a rabbi, good teacher, come from God, all that stuff. But just to let you know, I'm uh, pretty important. <laughs> you know, like when I say we, I'm talking about, you know, the, my, 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 my passe. Uh, and uh, so he's kind of sneaking that in there. Um, and he says, uh, he goes on to say, no one can do these signs unless uh, you're God and so on. That's a, a diplomatic thing to say. So uh, Jesus has paid this compliment, not without it being freighted a little bit with uh, Nicodemus's clout, you know. Well, how does Jesus answer that? I mean, Nicodemus pays him this what seems like a compliment. If you just read it in a cursory way, you'd go, oh, he complimented Jesus, that's whatever. Um, but what does Jesus do? Here's how he answers him. He doesn't say, why, thank you, Nicodemus. That's quite wonderful of you. Oh, I love to converse with a fellow scholar on the scriptures. He didn't do that. Jesus is like, Nicodemus goes, and Jesus is like, "Mm -hmm. okay, whatever, dude. Boom. And here's what he says, verse 3. He just answers him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, other translations, instead of truly, truly, will say most assuredly, or you may have verily, verily, if you have a a King James, uh, but some say most assuredly. But what he's saying is, hey, hey, listen, get it straight, Nicodemus, get it straight. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again or born from above, you might have. And uh, Nicodemus answers kind of flippantly, verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, folks, uh, this has so often been mishandled, and um, even as, as you read it in your own devotions, we kind of look and we go, oh, was Nicodemus a dummy? Must, you mean Jesus? I'm supposed to climb in backside of my mommy? Is that what that means? Do we really think that he's as, as stupid a hayseed as that? What he's doing is giving a disrespectful answer to Jesus. He's going, born again? Okay. <laughs> Talking kind of crazy now, Jesus. That's a ridiculous answer. I asked you a question. I I set you up, and this is what you say back to me, this ridiculous thing. And um, so uh, look at the significance of verse 3 again. I I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, that's a big thing. You can't even see the kingdom of God. By the way, who's taking Dr. Young's systematic theology class? All right. Well, you know, everybody tries to trip him up right at this point because he goes, he tests you. He goes, all right, what does the Bible say? Uh, he, he tests you, don't look, don't look. He'll go, he'll go, um, unless one is born again, he cannot what? The kingdom of God, what? And everybody goes, enter. He goes, no, he tricks you. And everybody thinks enter because two verses later it says Enter. No one can enter the kingdom of God. But here it says see. And, uh, and, uh, and as, as, as Dr. Young is teaching, everybody is trying to look, find a way to fit that in. Like, but, but Dr. Young, but, 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 but right here, Dr. Young, and he rides right over you. He won't let you do it. The reason he won't let you do it is that people think that being um, born again and uh, being born of water and the spirit are perfectly synonymous. They're not. They're not. That's why, that's why Dr. Young won't let you get away with that. They're not. Um, so what does it mean in verse, um, in verse 5 when Nicodemus says, oh, come on, Jesus, that's ridiculous. But Jesus doesn't hold back. He continues on. He says, verily, verily, truly, truly, um, authentically, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you can't see it if you're not born again. You can't enter it unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, born of water and the Spirit? If it's not a perfect synonym for being born again, what does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? Well, uh, R.C. Sproul says that he has struggled with the meaning of that for 40 years. So it's, it's kind of hard. It's one of the harder things to interpret, honestly, in this, in this book. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the position that R.C. Sproul has, has landed on, but I've landed on it too. I'm not just going there because he's there. I've landed on it too, which is this, and I, I, think, I think this will help you. This is what, what kind of seals it for me. Keeping this in mind, ladies and gentlemen, look at verse, look at verse um, uh, yeah, 10. When Jesus answers him, he says, hey, Nicodemus, aren't you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? To what is Jesus referring? The Old Testament. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're a scholar in the Bible you've got. 
and the Bible he had was the Old Testament. And so Jesus is relating to him in a way that he can understand, and Jesus is surprised that he doesn't understand when he should, when he's got such a knowledge of the Old Testament. So I think that we've got to look at the idea of water and the Spirit in an Old Testament context, all right? So here's what I think Jesus is getting at. You don't have to turn because you'll never find Ezekiel. Uh, But uh, this is Ezekiel 36. Listen to this, 25 and following. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yes, many people interpret water um, and the spirit as being, you know, uh, being born physically and then being born spiritually. That's one theory. Some people uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, obtusely slide it over toward baptism. Uh, but I think this is what get, is this, that, uh, that Jesus is getting at because he's dealing with an Old Testament scholar. He's going, look, the issue is that you need cleansing. Hey, scholar of the Old Testament, remember Ezekiel? Remember that prophet? Remember what he was saying? That, that there's going to come a time where God is going to pour out clean water and clean you from your uncleanness and from your idols, and he'll cleanse you. You see all the clean, 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 clean? And what's, what's, what's that going to be? Well, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I'm going to take that heart of stone in you that's dead, 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 and I'm going to give you a live one. I think that's the point. Um, Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, unless God is doing a work of cleaning, unless God is doing a work where he's giving you a new heart, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Sin is a problem. It's a cosmic problem. But it's a curable problem. But it's curable by, by one uh, uh, antidote. And the antidote is Jesus Christ. Um, now, application for your life, speaking of R.C. Sproul, he wrote a really good thing on this, and I'm just going to read you part of it. Um, and it's kind of cool. This is like his, from his, his latter years. You know, he's pastored a church for a few years now, and uh, these are like his church sermons. So it's kind of cool hearing this old, older voice of R.C. Sproul. Um, but he, he says this. This applies to you, friends. Everybody who is unregenerate, That means not born again or not born from above, if your translation has that. Everybody who is unregenerate is impure and spiritually dead. And as long as a person is impure and spiritually dead, he can never enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God, a person must be purified and must be raised from spiritual death. He has to be cleansed and raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this, there is water for cleansing and the spirit for new life. That's the application for the life, your life, friends. Uh, sin is a curable problem, but it ain't something you conjured up. It is only God doing a saving work. It is only God breaking through and providing cleansing by the only means possible and giving a new heart. You get a new heart, what happens to you? You start making decisions out of a new heart. When you got a dead heart, dead heart decisions. When you got a, a new living heart that sees spiritual life, 
um, new decisions. You decide to follow Jesus. All right, let's look at our third point. Oh, wow, look at that. Well, that's not cool. When did that happen? Twitter quit it unexpectedly. Okay. Yeah, really, man. Boom. Hey, come on. There we go, Fred. Born to be born again. Uh, Jesus has communicated that um, though we were physically born, we were spiritually stillborn. And I hope that's not too hard of a word for some of you to hear, but it, it, is a, it is an accurate description. We were born into this world, this fallen world, stillborn spiritually, not alive, not able, not able to make decisions. Uh, we were unable to Pharisee our way into God's favorite, and that message to Nicodemus, that message to us continues today. Now, let me give you the why. The why is this, verses 6 and 7, look it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You get that? Physical is physical, spiritual is spiritual. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must, be, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it goes, comes from. Uh, so it is with everyone who is born again. Um, the, the why is this, to be spiritually okay with God, um, who is spiritual and holy, means that you have to be spiritual and holy too. To be okay with this God means that you have to be alive and that you have to be holy and clean. Now, friends, can you offer absolute moral perfection to God? Can you do that? You know, you just talk to anybody anywhere in any religion, and they're trying to be the best person they can be. I just want to improve myself. I just want to be the best person I can be. I mean, for some people, it's exercise on a Sunday morning. For some people, it's church on a Sunday morning. For some people, it's politics on a Sunday morning. For some people, it's uh, learning things on a Sunday morning. But for us, we're weird. We gather and we try to put ourselves under this book. I mean, it's a strange behavior, isn't it? Isn't what we're doing right now strange? Why do we do it? Well, we can't offer moral perfection to God. He's the one who provides it. And because he has, it causes our hearts to to long for him and to long to be under this book and to long uh, to worship him. Um, So, yeah, it's trouble if we can't offer God perfect morality. So here's the uh, how. How do we do it? Well, uh, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think Joey Salopek will tell you, where's the wind come from, man? Hard to, hard, to, hard to get it, isn't it? Even with computers. Three days out, how, where's it coming from? Um, how about this? You know, I, I read commentators, and I think they get a little sloppy with this. They're like, well, even in a hurricane. I'm like, well, in a hurricane, you can see sideways rain. And, uh, you know, the cow spinning around your head, you know. You can see in, in heavy storms, you can see. Uh, one commentator I read uh, mentioned a zephyr, which whoever talks about a zephyr. He was, and I had to look it up. A zephyr is kind of like a light wind on a summer day. See, it's a summer day. It's kind of hot in Memphis, and you're outside, and you're at the picnic, and all of a sudden, oh, everybody goes, oh, whew, that felt good. It's kind of like a zephyr. You go, eh, where'd that come from? <laughs> wow. I mean, clouds, sunny day. All of a sudden, this breeze just comes, and whew, oh, and I was like, where'd it, where'd it come from? You can't see it. 
that, that's the way God, the Holy Spirit works, friends. Um, one minute you have a certain disposition and uh, you find all this stuff to be ridiculous. And you find Christians to be just a bunch of nincompoops, a bunch of red state nut job people, you know? And uh, there's plenty of blue state Christians too. But I'll tell you that. They're nut jobs too. They're nut jobs too. Um, uh, it, it's strange. And all of a sudden, you find yourself going, wait a second. I think this might be true. Wait a second. I think this Jesus might be who he says he is. Wait a second. You know, on the one minute I'm going, hey, Rabbi, oh, you got a lot of signs there. And, uh, oh, we think this and we think this. And the next minute you're going, huh, wow, I think this might be um, a reality. It takes you by surprise. You don't see it coming. That's the point of the wind blowing. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. He comes and he grips you and surprises you. All right. I got to close. Let's, let's do this. Lest you say, oh, I regret that we didn't have a resurrection passage here today. Um, Would you like a nice epilogue? Want a nice epilogue? I'll give you one. I wonder what happened to old Nicodemus. I wonder what happened to him. Uh, Old Nicodemus, uh, did he end up believing? Or was he like the rich young ruler who said, oh, I I see the cost you've spelled out there, Jesus. And uh, uh, that's a pretty high cost. And so the rich young ruler walks away sad going, "Mm, yielding everything to you. Uh, no can do. Or, uh, is that how Nicodemus operates? Well, um, he shows up again in chapter 7, which is kind of cool. Shows up again in chapter 7, and um, he says, um, oh yeah, this is awesome. The, the, <laughs> the, the uh, religious establishment, they send some soldiers, some officers, they send some officers to arrest Jesus, all right? They send some guys to arrest Jesus, and uh, the guys who are sent to arrest Jesus come back to the, the, the Pharisees and they don't have Jesus. And the Pharisees go, why don't you have Jesus? What, where is he? And they, they answer him, well, no one ever spoke like this man. <laughs> is that not awesome? Go arrest, go get him and bring his butt over here so we can talk to him. And they come back and they go, ah, no, nobody, nobody talks like him. We just didn't get him. <laughs> is that cool? Well, and they hate that. They hate that. And they say, well, you know, you idiots, you know, basically, uh, they're like, trust us, the thinking people, you morons. You know, you didn't get him because he talks different. And Nicodemus says this. He, and he's a Pharisee, too. He's right along with them. He goes, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he says? So you got Nicodemus kind of standing up for, you know, hearing Jesus out. And they replied, are you from Galilee, too, Nicodemus? Search and see that no problem uh, profit from a, uh, arises from Galilee. Now, we might at least assume that Nicodemus is warm to the idea of Jesus as Messiah. But I wonder if he really became a Christian, this Nicodemus. I mean, I wonder if it, after it was all over, wonder what, are we going to see him in heaven? I wonder if we will. Well, listen to this. John 19. 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So Jesus has been crucified. Joseph, a guy who's a wealthy guy, he's got a tomb, he's going to put Jesus in this tomb, goes to Pilate and says, can I take the body? I don't want anyone to steal it, um, and we're, we just want to bury it properly, and I've got this tomb. Yes, Pilate says, yes. Mm. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night. So not any other Nicodemus, the one you're thinking of, that Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, 
Jesus said, you need to be born again. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Born again, climb inside my mother. Nicodemus brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 75 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they lay Jesus there. Here you have Nicodemus handling the dead body off of the cross of Jesus. He brings spices. He wraps it. I mean, who would do that except a a careful lover of the Savior? Uh, Will Nicodemus be in heaven? I bet everything I got, I'll be in heaven. Um, You know, friends, being born again or born from above isn't a commitment to a new fraternity or a new uh, social group, or a a do-good organization. It's being made alive when you weren't alive before. It's it's, um, having a spiritual life where there was only spiritual death before. It is the dead coming alive. In fact, um, you got to say it carefully, (laughs) but in in many ways, it's a resurrection. Um, It's not that we weren't born in sin, we were. But it is coming to life from dead, death. In many ways, being born again is a resurrection. And so I ask you this morning before we quit, is there a rumbling in your spirit? Are you an earnest seeker? Are you one who is sitting out there going, how did I get here? How did I get before this guy? How did I get before this chapter? How did I get before this spiritual information? And why is my heart suddenly interested in it? If that's you, then I think the wind might be blowing. And I think that you need to pray that God would show you what is true and give you the grace to receive it. Righteous Father, we um, find the gospel to be what it is, a great mystery that um, God would become flesh and God would live a perfect life, and God would be willing to take a a punishment that the guilty parties deserved. Um, Thank you for that great salvation, Lord. Thank you for uh, making a way that we can be clean, cleansed, uh, prepared, righted, um, made alive, made acceptable in your sight that you would receive us as sons and daughters. Being born again, oh God, is a precious thing. Uh, Bring life, O giver of life. Bring health, O giver of health. We pray it for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.